In the summer of 1946, the first black heavyweight boxing champion died after a car accident near the town of Franklinton, north of Raleigh. Because of segregation and Jim Crow era rules, he was denied treatment by the closest white hospital and had to travel 25 miles to the nearest black hospital. This morning, we are talking with the son of the man who was called to transport legendary boxer Jack Johnson to that black hospital, St. Agnes Hospital in Raleigh. St. Agnes was part of St. Augustine's University, then college at the time. Joseph B. Cutchins Jr. is the owner of Cutchins Funeral Home in Franklinton and is still providing services to the community. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. I'm just fine. Great day to be alive. I know that's right. I'm so glad to talk to you. I know your father was a major boxing fan. Do you recall him talking to you about that day? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, he, he always talked about it because he was right on the scene when they uh, took him out of the car and put him into a vehicle and, and uh, took him to the hospital. Um, one of the boxing books that I've read uh, said that as the ambulance sped away, uh, transporting the mortal body, the, the, the mortal body of Jack Johnson, the colored undertaker wrote his epitaph. He drove too far, too fast, too long. Mm. Wow. Now, Jack Johnson had a complex legacy, you know, not afraid to break from societal expectations for that time, not one to feel he had to live in fear or not speak his mind. And it kind of made him a target. You know, he was jailed for violating the Man Act. And that law said transporting women across state lines. But what it was really about was dating or marrying white women more than anything else. And you, you've said yourself, even when he went to prison, he was still very creative and innovative. Yes. Uh, if, if you read the history, and of course I have all of the, the documentation about his life, that he was born in Texas, and uh, when they arrested him the first time, he jumped bail and went to Canada, and then he eventually ended up in Europe uh, where he fought two championship fights, but they wouldn't let him back into the country. And uh, the powers that be went to him and told him, if you fight Jim Jeffries uh, in Havana, Cuba, and lose the fight, then we'll let you back in the country. And it's, it's documented that he fought Jim Jeffries for, I think, 27 rounds. And he wouldn't let him fall. He beat him to a pulp, and every time he started to fall, he'd hold him up and beat him some more. And after the 27th round, Jack fell down on the canvas. And there's a picture out there in cyberspace with him laying on the canvas, holding his hand up in front of his eyes as if he was shielding his eyes from the sun because they fought outdoors. Wow. And uh, they led him back into the country. And uh, his first wife had committed suicide. Uh, then he married another lady and took her across the state line. And that's when they arrested him. Uh, and they didn't let him out then. And if, while he was incarcerated, uh, he was assigned to the plumbing detail in the prison. And he, he invented this wrench that would make his work easier. And, of course, they call it the monkey wrench because they referred to black 
men as monkeys. Right. And that's where the name the monkey wrench came from. So that that was a part of his notoriety. He wrote two books and et cetera. But it, it was an interesting saga of how it all happened with Jack Johnson. Uh, I, I have fond memories of, of my daddy talking to us about it because I grew up in a household where football and boxing and baseball were the sports of choice because black men didn't play basketball and football and basketball back in that day, not not the way they do now. Um, my daddy played football at Plano. He was a uh, captain of the 1928 EIAA championship team. So football was the norm in our house and boxing. And in the funeral home, we had only TV in town. And every Friday night, all of the men in the town, his friends would come and they would watch the Friday night uh, Gillette Cavalcade of sports. And it was boxing every Friday night. So we, we just grew up watching boxing all our lives. And my daddy was real proud of his association with the Jack Johnson struggle because it was our um, ambulance service at the funeral home that transported his body. The funeral, they didn't have uh, uh, EMS and rescue uh, teams back in that day. The funeral homes uh, did the ambulance transportation. And at the scene of the accident, they'd call a white funeral home, and because he was black, they wouldn't transport him, so they called for the colored undertaker. And a man named Kenneth Mangrum was on call at the funeral home that, day, that night because my daddy was right up the street at the barbershop. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kenneth came down with our ambulance, and I have a picture of that ambulance uh, that transported Jack, and they took him to St. Agnes Hospital because Rex Hospital wouldn't uh, take black people. Yeah, after <clears throat> after Jack was released from jail, uh, he went on the speaking bureau, and he had been in Texas on, uh, speaking and traveled across the lower part of the country and came to U.S. 1 en route to New York. And back then, you had to go through every little town. There were no expressways, no interstates. U.S. 1 ran from Florida to Maine. And you had to go through every little old town all the way up. And he had negotiated curves from uh, all the way up on U.S. 1. He stopped in Apex, North Carolina, to get something to eat. And they wouldn't serve him. We don't serve y'all. And you have to go to that little window in the back. Well, he told them, I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. I don't go to no back window. And they told him, well, we don't serve you. And he got mad and took it out on the car. And his valet said he drove like a madman. When he negotiated the curves between Wake Forest, North Carolina, and DeYoungsville, North Carolina, there were several more curves that he had to uh, negotiate coming on into Franklinton. And the curve just before the accident, uh, it, it the road went into a straightaway and it dipped. And in, in the daytime, you can see the uh, the pole that he hit. Uh, but it, in the evening, when the car dipped down, where the highway dipped, and when he came back up, he was on the curve. And that's when he slammed into that pole. Of course, that pole was broken 
and the replacement pole is there now. Mm-hmm. But I, every year on June the 10th, I put a wreath on the pole to commemorate that day, June June the, uh, 10th, 1946. And uh, I leave the, the wreath up for a day, and then I take it down. And uh, I've negotiated with some friends and people across the country, some boxing fans who tried to help me get a memorial sign placed at that at that um, point where that pole is now. And I met with some opposition from the governor because he was not a North Carolina native, so they wouldn't let us put up that normal sign that they put up on the side of the road. The marker. Uh-huh. But that's basically it. Gotcha. I did want to ask you, how long has your family funeral home been in business? March the 21st will be 86 years. All right. All right. And do you display any boxing mementos or memorabilia you'd like to tell us about? Well, you know, I have pictures of Jack. I have a picture in my office of Jack Johnson and Joe Lewis, which was a rarity. Um, And then I have a picture of that that Lincoln Zephyr, not the one that he had the accident in, but a picture of what that Lincoln Zephyr looked like. Mm-hmm. I have that picture in my office. And uh, the, I have a, a a plaque that was given to me by a, a writer. The name of the book was This Is Where. And he gave me the plaque to put in the funeral home uh, based on our participation in the final hours of Jack Johnson. When he died, uh, he was he was pronounced dead at St. Agnes Hospital in Raleigh. And they took his body to Haywood Funeral Home in Raleigh. And my dad had left Haywood Funeral Home to come to Franklinton. And so he went back to Haywood and helped them prepare his body to be shipped to Chicago. And he was buried in an unmarked grave and um, uh, I'm having a senior moment right now, but uh, the, the, the actor... Sylvester Stallone. Uh, it'll come to me in a second. <laughs> the actor uh, put a, a final marker on his grave. Um, Sylvester Stallone? Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone finally uh, contracted a a tombstone to be put at his grave. And uh, there's a movie. Of course, The Great White Hope was the first movie that they did depicting his life. And then another movie uh, was a documentary film by Ken Burns, Unforgivable Blackness, was released in 2004. And... uh, Jack Johnson was a member of the inaugural class of inductees into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1990. Uh, I had petitioned President Obama. I have the letter in my office where I wrote him asking him to pardon Jack Johnson before he went out of office. And I followed uh, President Obama right up until uh, uh, President Trump's inauguration hoping at the last minute he would pardon him, but he didn't. Subsequently, President Trump eventually pardoned Jack Johnson. And I hope that has paved the way for us to get uh, a memorial sign to put at that point. Uh, it's, it's, it's real special to me in my lifetime 
that that I get that done. And I'm 80 years old, and I, I keep pressing forward with people and anybody such as yourself who's interested in this story that maybe somebody might help me get that sign done. Well, it is a fascinating story, Mr. Cutchins. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Again, uh, black history is American history because it affects us all. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You have a wonderful day. Thank you, sir.